Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Front Line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube and any place you find us on social media. Like, subscribe, share, hit that little bell. Do all that fun stuff and support us in that way. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by a friend of the show, Michael Grogan. And for those of you who do not know Michael Grogan, you should, all right? And you're going to understand during the course of this conversation why Michael's on the show. Michael runs Michael Grogan Ministry, and he has served the poorest of the poor, living amongst them on the streets of the Bronx, now in Philadelphia for the last several months. Michael is, and here's the key, Michael is legally blind, yet in so many ways his vision is clearer and broader than all of us. So we want to make, welcome Michael Grogan to the front line with Joe and Joe. Welcome back, our friend. Thank you so much. Good to see you guys. Michael, we're going to begin with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. St. Dominic. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Michael, as Joe P. read in the bio, you're legally blind. Tell us a little bit about your parents. I think it's an interesting story. They were also blind and they raised five children. Tell us also how your grandmother tried to discourage your mom and dad from having more children due to their, due to their disability and the difficulties that it would present in raising you guys. Sure. My, my parents actually met uh, in the Bronx at a school for the blind called Lavelle School for the Blind. So I, I, I always joke around and say they met on a blind date. Nice. But, but they they um, ended up falling in love and getting married and uh, ended up having five children. So everyone in the family, because both mom and dad have the disability, we have congenital cataracts and coloboma and glaucoma and a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and my mother's mom, um, after she had the first child, after my mom had my, my oldest sister, kind of just started to discourage her from, from having any more children, from not bringing disabled children into the world. Her, her attitude was, you know, we, we don't want this. In fact, my, she would um, even remind my mother, she would say, you know, after, after I had you, because she was born, my mother was born with a disability, I got my tubes tied. And that really was a deep wound that my mother carried to, to hear those things. But, um, but, but my mother had five of us, thank God. And and never stopped. She put us through mainstream mainstream Catholic school, and and we all did very very well. 
And I, I just think of all the hundreds and thousands of people that I've met in my life and all the people that I've been privileged to serve. And, you know, and, and I just said, what what would life be? What would life be if my mother had stopped? You know, so I thank God every day that she gave gave her yes. You know, it's funny. It's a testament to life. And why I say that is there's so many people, we all work in the world, they don't have faith in God's providence. And that's why I think that story is so important. People of means, they don't want to have children or they have a limited amount of children. They calculate. God's plans are better than our plans. And we, when we live in that space, it can be scary. However, he always provides. And I love that story. And it should inspire people. And I hope it does out there, particularly married people who potentially are thinking about contracepting. God's plan is better than our plan. And we have to trust it. And I think also, you know, like when people hear, you know, well, you, you, your child may have a disability and people, you know, automatically go into a panic mode. And there's a part of us that wants to have, you know, perfect children. And I always think, you know, look at God's first two kids. You know, were they perfect? I mean, they, they blew it. They messed up. So none of our children are perfect. You know, uh, some of them, some of them don't have any physical disabilities and physical limitations. Maybe it's emotional or psychological or whatever it is, but there's no such thing as a perfect child, except for, of course, for Jesus and Mary, right? So if we're worried about having imperfect children, get over it because your child will be imperfect and conceive as many as you can and give the world beautiful sons and daughters of God. And think about it. I mean, it's so true. It's like we, we, we've been sitting here. And when I say we, I mean the Catholic Church for decades. Decades has been warning, Michael, about, about this, this contraceptive mentality, how it's going to have disastrous consequences, okay? Not just spiritually, but also, you know, in the world, okay? And what are you seeing now? Negative birth rates in Europe. China, which imposed abortion on women, Okay, one child policy. Then after decades of that went to two children. Now they just went to three children that they're allowing. Why? Because it's a disaster. When you try to go against God, it's a really bad idea. And how do you go with God? Have kids. Don't worry about it. Joe's grandmother had 17 kids, lost five. Okay. In other words, raised 12 children. Okay. Guess what? Not a problem. Look, I work. I work in a, in a, in a hospitality industry in New York. Okay? I work with a lot of guys from overseas. They're uh, immigrants from overseas. A lot of Hispanic guys. They got five and six and seven kids. They're working as 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 uh, food runners and server assistants. Okay, they're making it. They're making it. You know what I mean? So so nobody's got to like Joe's describing. Nobody's got that stupid excuse. Well, I only, I'm going to plan my family. You know what? Plan your butt. How about you go with God's plan? That's the best way to go about it. Sorry to go off on that, Michael. But, but you know, it's it's so, oh, it's it's so empty and stupid, in other words, that people have. And it's bearing bad fruit. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about, it really is all about saying yes to life and having as many children as God wants you to have. And just really being open to God's plan. And it's, let me tell you, it's so much more exciting. I, I'm so glad that I grew up with two brothers and two sisters. And sure, we had our struggles and our dis- difficulties and everything like that. But I learned to live in community. I learned, I, I would learn to be stretched. You know, sometimes when you have only one or two children, you know, and, it, and, and some people are called to do that and that's fine. But, you know, the kids can end up to be very selfish and not know how to live in community. And and, and it really is a big help to have. So you got to share a room with somebody is an experience. 
I would agree. I, I, I agree with you. Mike, how let's let's stay on um your disability for a second. So obviously you 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 follow Jesus' command. You pick up your cross every day. Okay. Obviously, you know, aside from the fact that you you're legally blind, okay, but you're not out there just trying to get through life. You're in the trenches. You're helping other people to try to get through life. Okay. How has how has your blindness, how has that brought you closer to Christ and his church? My Legal blindness is the greatest gift that God has given me. And I and I always say, you know, people say, you know, you, you, and, they, and they, they're well-meaning people, but they always say, you know, I'll pray that you'll be healed. I'll say, please do me a favor. Go pray for somebody else. I am good. This has been my ticket into the ghetto to serve and help the people that I serve. Amen, brother. And, and so I, I consider this, I really consider this an amazing blessing. It's made me the man that I am, and I am so proud of who I am in Christ. And I, I had a conversion experience in 1993 where I, I, I came to know Jesus in a very real, in a very personal way. And it started with the Blessed Mother and her rosary. But, but then it led to just this one-on-one personal encounter with Jesus where he literally opened the eyes of my soul and opened the eyes of my heart. And I, I, I was able to see him and am able to see him so clearly every day. And that's really the main thing that matters. Most people walk around in spiritual blindness. They have zero clue what's going on around, around them you know, in the supernatural. They have no idea about the presence of God, the power of God, the providence of God, the mystery of God, the love of God. Their life is empty and meaningless. They are as blind as they could possibly be. So um, I have this little bit of an inconvenience where I have to look a little closer when I read, or I have to ask somebody for help, you know, to figure out, is that the number three bus or the number nine bus? But you know what? My life is very easy compared to the people that walk through their life in spiritual blindness, not knowing the love of God, because that's not just a spiritual blindness. It's also an emotional blindness. It's an identity crisis. How can you become the person that God created you to be if you can't see who you are in Jesus, if you can't see God as your real father, if you can't see Our Lady as your real mother, you are an orphan. That is complete blindness. So the way that I see it is I have I am one of the few people with very incredible vision and I'm walking around in a world filled with darkness and people who are in blindness. That's a great way to look at it, Michael. And and frankly, I think Mother Teresa used to say that sometimes our sufferings are kisses from God from the cross. God gives meaning to suffering as in Christ. And I think the world minus Jesus and many people live in that, that vacuum there. They can't understand suffering. Suffering comes to us all. Um, and this is something we're going to do a show on that very shortly with the gentleman, uh, who lives in Virginia, who wrote a book on suffering. He, uh, Paul, Thoreau, I believe his name is. He recently um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Suffering is a part of everyone's life, and Christ gives meaning to suffering because it's redemptive. But let's switch gears for a moment. Joe talked about in your bio that you lived and worked amongst the poorest of the poor. A lot of that time was in the South Bronx. Uh, Tell us about your ministry, how it began in the South Bronx. You lived um, on 175th Street. Tell us also the story about how you found that apartment on 175th street and the, the fruit 
that was was basically bore as a result of your work there? Sure. <clears throat> well, it's kind of a long story, but we'll give you the abbreviated but still fun version. <laughs> Love so, it. <laughs> the fun is important. So, because life with God is fun, you know, I, I think sometimes, especially Catholics, I think that we think that we're walking through life with a very somber look on our face, dragging a cross, you know, and 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 uh, and singing Ave Maria. That is not very an, an appealing sales pitch to the rest of the world, right? It's like, okay, well, you're going to walk through life somber with a cross on your back, singing Ave Maria. People's that's why people wait. They wait. Well, let me tell you, my life with God has been nothing but excitement. Every day is exciting. I have no idea what to expect. Literally, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm living on in a movie set. And, and God is the director, and, it, and he, I just wake up in the morning, and he says, action! And I don't know what I'm doing and where I'm going, and, and, and it's so exciting, this life with God. And so um, I had my conversion in 93. In 1999, I started working with Mother Teresa's sisters in the Bronx, and I, and I was helping out at their summer camp. Before that, I had known the Franciscans of the Renewal in the Bronx. So as, as a teenager, I was always going back and forth to the Bronx and, um, and, and experiencing that and seeing that. And that made a deep impression on my heart. And I met young people who had dropped out of school at such a young age, 15. I could, just couldn't fathom. I had no choice but to go to school. I, that was not even an option. So the thought that you could be 15 and out on the street all day and with nobody caring about where you were going or what you were doing was I, I, unfathomable to me as a young person. And I would go and I would see young people who were selling drugs and, 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 and in gangs. And I just could not understand all of it. But as I worked more and more in the Bronx and then got to know Mother Teresa's sisters, who are my heroes, there's over 5,000 missionaries of charity. I always say I have over 5,000 girlfriends because I love every one of them because they've <laughs> given themselves completely, totally, almost irrationally to God. They're head over heels just in love with him. And I just admire that all in. Michael, let me just cut you off real quick. I just want to remind everybody that you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, Way in the Breach on the Veritas Catholic Network. And we have Michael Grogan. And Michael's telling his story. Michael is the founder of Michael Grogan Ministry. Uh, we're talking about Michael's work uh, with the poorest of the poor in the Bronx. Just to digress for one second, Michael, then you could jump right back in. How disgusting is it, this, this hit piece that the New York Times did on Mother Teresa uh, and the mission? Did you hear about that? A recent piece? A yeah. Recent, yeah uh, um, a, a quote, a sister who, who left the order now has written a book basically bashing the order um, and, uh, and you know, different things. And, uh, and the New York Times, just right on cue, ready to jump right in and destroy Mother Teresa and her legacy and the, and, and, and the missionaries of charity. It's disgusting. It really is. It's absolutely disgusting. But I got to tell you, if you have any doubts, go and visit the sisters. And after one hour, you will see what garbage. Just one hour. It won't take long. Tell you what, 15 minutes. I dare you to go. I dare anybody listening to this to go and ring the doorbell of a convent of the missionaries of charity and ask to visit the chapel. And after 15 minutes, not only will you know how wrong it is, but probably your life will change. Probably some sister will ask you to do something for them and you'll end up going on an adventure that you never thought you'd go on. So go ring a doorbell. You have any doubts, ring the bell. Mother yeah. Teresa's sister. I did, yeah, I'm sorry about the digression, Michael. Go ahead. Let's talk about That's the right. Plot. I'm in love with them. We'll send everybody to them. I love it. <laughs> 
So, so um, I started working with the sisters and I taught catechism. And the catechism class that I taught, I got all of the kids who were thrown out of their other classes. And these were young people, 13, 14, 15, um, and they had horrible attitudes and they were get, having a hard time. And the, and the teachers in their regular catechism class couldn't put up couldn't put up with them. And they came to my class and I was kind of the punishment class, but we ended up having a blast and kids loved my class. I got along so good with them that I had other kids who weren't so bad, but they started to misbehave to try to get kicked out of their class to come down to our class because we had a blast every week and the word was spreading. And so I kind of found out that I had a gift with young people who were kind of on the fringe. And I ended up moving to the Bronx to first to Pelham Bay, which is not so bad a neighborhood in about 2003. And I stayed in touch with some of these families. And so now these young people were in the Bloods gangs and selling guns and drugs outside of their buildings and had dropped out of school and were really on the wrong road, but I was still in touch with them. And when I moved into my new apartment, I had a statue of Our Lady of Sorrows and this lady who gave me, and I moved into the apartment on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows and I put her in the living room. We didn't have a TV because I was living with another devout man of God who just loved the Lord and who was crazy and we didn't need a TV. And we, you know, we entertained ourselves by getting up at two in the morning and instead of flipping on the TV, we'd pray a rosary. So that was our idea of a good time. And it was, it worked. And so I remembered that I had made a promise that I would have a cynical around this statue of Our Lady and uh, have people over to pray the rosary. And I said, well, I could get the little old ladies after the nine o'clock mass and they'd probably come and they'd love it. But I said, but I want to try, you know, I'm, I'm adventurous. And I got this inspiration. Why don't we get some of those young people? Because now they're really in trouble and maybe maybe this can kind of help them. And so um, the first week, um, my roommate went off to work and it was a Tuesday night. And uh, we had five young people come. And, and actually, two of them had just recently gotten out of Rikers Island. Uh, two of them were from the Patterson projects and two from the Edenwall projects and one was from Grand Concourse. And so these young people came up and my, it was a it was a kind of an Italian neighborhood. So here they all come with their braids and their bandanas and their, and their baggy shorts and their underwear hanging out, you know, and they're coming up my block, you know, and everybody walks, you know, briskly. And then here they come, you know, boom. You know, they're coming with their gangster bop down the block and they come up to my apartment and we have the rosary and it was a complete disaster. <laughs> they didn't. I gave them the pamphlets. They couldn't read the prayers on the pamphlets. They didn't remember anything. They had really they were tough. They were angry. And at the end of the whole thing, and I, 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 I said, this, I guess they're never coming back. I said, but we had pizza and that was the saving grace. That was the saving grace. And so they they came again the next week. I couldn't believe it. And then they came the next week and they started to learn the prayers. And then we would have music and we light the candles and create a little ambiance, you know, and, and so to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. The Holy Spirit is a drama queen. The Holy Spirit likes good atmosphere. The Holy Spirit likes to show up in power. And so what we did was I said, guys, we got it. We're going to go around with intentions. And their intentions used to be they used to say, God, would bless the world. And I would say, Carlos, when you say God bless the world, God takes his hand, makes a big sign of the cross over the world. And you never get to see what happens. Be specific. 
ask for something specific so that you can see if God answers the prayers. You know, I put like a fleece before the Lord. And so um, this one kid, Jonathan, started to pray, and he prayed that his father would get out of jail. Now, the rest of the world was probably praying that Jonathan's father would stay in jail. <laughs> so I don't know how God works these things out in his in, in his divine equity, but that's you can get somebody to do that on another on another Saturday. All I can tell you is about three weeks later, Jonathan comes back. This is a kid that was selling guns in front of the Eaton Wall Project, smoking weed, messing around, having so much sex outside of marriage. It was literally a game to him. And here he is, he knows nothing. He's just been coming for a few weeks, praying the rosary, and he comes back and he is excited. His father, I don't know what the technicality was. I was even shocked. I, I, I said, I, you know, give God something possible that he can do, but God loves to show off and do the impossible. Jonathan's father was out of jail. And now the guys were excited. And so they started to be specific in their intentions, and we started to pray. And we actually had some priests that used to come up and and pray with us. And although, you know, some of them were Catholic and were able to make a confession after a long period of time, some of them weren't. And they started to bring their friends. And this became known as the Thug Prayer Group. And I, and I had three requirements. You had to have dropped out of school, be in a gang, and be selling drugs. If you get two out of three, you can still come. One out of three, go join your regular parish youth group. Goodbye, good luck. <laughs> and so, and we actually had one kid that, you know, was a really good kid. And I ended up kicking him out and said, this is just not the group for you. He's a priest for the Archdiocese of New York. Love it. So, um, so, so the Lord is really working. So anyway, so I ended up moving, um, I, I ended up quitting my job. I was a custodian for the Catholic church. So, you know, you have a legally blind custodian, how clean are your urinals really going to be? Honestly, you know, <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't my gift. You know, I knew it. So I said, well, you know, and I felt this call, you know, I can do 40 hours a week cleaning and that's good for the glory of God. There's no shame in it. Or I can do 40 hours a week taking care of the young people. And I just prayed and said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to provide, but I trust you. I believe this is your call in my life. And I'm going to take a leap of faith and, and quit my job. I will take care of your children, but you got to take care of me. And he's always been faithful to that covenant. And about a week after I quit my job, I had no idea where or how I was going to pay the rent, what the next what the next step was. I just trusted. And like I said, it's like being on a movie set. You just get up and, and you go and the director is a great director and it's going to be a happy ending and you just trust. And so I I got up about a week later and and I'm down in the South Bronx and I'm talking with somebody and they say, so what are you doing? And I tell them the same story that I just told you. And the guy leans across the table and he says, could you use five thousand dollars? Well, I said, I guess I could. And 15 minutes, later, <laughs> 15 minutes later, I got my first donation. I was absolutely shocked. And you know something? I made more money in one week working for the Lord than I did in you know eight months working for the church. Now, of course, working for the church is working for the Lord too, but this was different. This was a different level. And with that money, I moved down to 187th Street, uh, the Little Italy section of the Bronx, and was there for two years, and I, I took some young people in. I had Johnny, who was a 19-year-old. He was a car thief, and he was living on a roof of a building. 
And uh, and I had an, I had Jonathan, that one that was uh, selling the guns out. So he moved in. We had them. And so I had a little residence and it was a, it was just constant drama. These guys, just so much drama. You wouldn't even believe it. We had prayer groups twice a week. All the young people from the neighborhood who were involved with gangs and drugs were coming in, praying the rosary, singing, worshiping the Lord. We'd have masses and God was providing. I was living on donations. I remember the first Thanksgiving that I did that. I had nothing nothing and we had a whole big thanksgiving party coming the day before and i said what am i going to do i have nothing to give these people and the lord said go to mass so i went to mass and i and i and i'm praying and it was the day of the party and i said i'm gonna have to cancel the lord said just go to mass so i went to mass and on my way back up from mass i get a phone call somebody's coming to drop off donations this lexus comes up the hatchet uh, the back hat, whatever they call it, the back the hatch of the, of the Lexus opens up boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of food and turkeys. I, we had so much food that when the people came for the party, I had to send them back home with a box of food to come back so that we had space in the apartment. That's so and great. God has just always provided miraculously. It's been amazing. Talk about the baptisms that resulted it when you were living in the South Bronx. I believe it was on 175th Street. That's right. Yes. So after 187th Street for two years, I wanted to move into the very worst building that I could find. And I even some of the kids that came to my prayer group and uh, I said, guys, I'm looking for like the worst building. You know, I really I really want to find a tough neighborhood to be in tougher than this neighborhood. And so they fought, you know, like Jesus's apostles fought over, you know, which would be the greatest in the kingdom. My guys fought over which building and which neighborhood was the worst. You know, they're shooting people in front of my building. No, they're doing crack in my building. You know, they're going on and on and on, fighting over their buildings. And so I end up um, finding this building on 175th Street, University Avenue. I go to the landlord. I tell him what every landlord would love to hear. Hi, I work with gang members and young people and pray with them. I live completely on donations, and I want to move into your building. Every landlord in the world would run as far as they could from that. You know, I, I don't want donations. I want my rent every month on the first, you know, and I don't want gang members in my building. Well, this building, this guy said to me, he was an Italian guy. God bless the Italians. They, they get, <laughs> gotta love the paisans, Michael. Gotta love the paisans. I was a paisan with you guys. His name was Nick, and I and I and Nick said, "Listen, I don't have any apartments available in this building." He says, "But I got a building even worse than this over in over in Hunts Point." I said, "Listen, Nick, that's very kind of you, but I know two or three families in this building, and I might not get stabbed my first night." I said, "Let me keep looking." So. <clears throat> Two days later, I'm with my friend in a car, another Paisan, another Italian guy, and we're, I'm, I'm sitting in the car, and as we're driving past this building on 175th and University, everybody, there's like 20 people up against the wall with their hands up against the wall, NYPD cars all over the place, they're checking everybody in the building. My friend says to me, isn't this, isn't that Anthony? Don't you know these people? <clears throat> and all of a sudden, the young people go, Mike, they yell at my name, Cops are frisking everybody. I said, drive. I don't want them to think that I'm buying drugs or doing anything crazy. I didn't want to get sucked in. But I realized there was a raid going on of that building. So anyway, uh, the next day I go to the landlord because one of the mothers called me. Three of the apartments were now empty because there was two gentlemen selling dr drugs and guns, and they rented out three apartments, and they would hide things in the walls, hide things underneath the floor tiles. So now these guys were taken out. They were put in jail. 
there were three empty apartments available. So I went to the landlord the next day and I said, Nick, you remember me? And he, and he just started to laugh. I said, I heard you have some apartments available. <laughs> well, it, 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 and so that uh, I moved in that June and started my work and we had prayer group twice a week and I would and I and it was it was crazy people were getting stabbed in front of my building young people selling drunk 13 year old kids selling weed in front of the building eight year old kids at two o'clock in the morning riding bikes on like this with this gunshots and stabbings and robberies going on totally unattended by adults adults sitting in front of their building playing dominoes drinking until they're so drunk they had to be dragged inside I mean it was just and it wasn't just my building. It was like every building in the neighborhood. It was just how it was. And it was crazy. And so I moved in there in June. We had prayer group twice a week. They started to bring their friends. Um, I would bring them to um, to go and do midnight runs, go down to Manhattan and give out sandwiches to the homeless. They loved that. Bring them on trips, go, brought them hiking into the mountains. The Mother Teresa's sisters, we'd actually bring them to the seven o'clock mass. And afterwards, the sisters would lend us the van for the day. And we'd bring 10 of these guys and just bring them up to Bear Mountain and take them on a hike. And they just loved it. And we had a lot of drama. But by the following April of that year, we had 19 young people from that one apartment building baptized Catholic. And we would just bring them to mass every Sunday. I'll never forget bringing them to a Sunday mass. And so I, I show up and all of a sudden there's three rows in the back filled with these very tough, intimidating people and some of their families. Gotta love it. Michael, let's leave it there for one second because we got to go to a break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way in the breach with Michael Grogan, and we're talking with Michael about his ministry, Michael Grogan's ministry, um, and serving the poorest of the poor. This is a great conversation. We want everybody to hear it. 1350 on your AM dial, the Veritas Catholic Network. Make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. So stick around. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And man, are we in the breach with Michael Grogan. Um, and you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Network. Make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. We're at 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right back into it. Michael, we ended the last segment talking about his experience and the fruit that his ministry has been bearing and has uh, borne in the Bronx. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello because now Michael is in a really, really bad place. I joked before uh, we went on with Michael that he's in the third circle of hell. And when you hear about this place, you, you might tend to agree with us. You know, before we get into where you're at now in Philadelphia, and Michael, uh, for those who don't know, is living in Kensington, Philadelphia, which is a neighborhood that is having a horrendous problem with heroin. Um, and Michael now is doing his work there. God called him there. I just want to comment a little bit on your experience in the Bronx. It reminds me of a story 
that happened in Chicago with a gentleman by the name of Brother Bill who moved into the Cabrini Green projects. He was called, he felt, by God to work with the gang members. And your story is very similar. And what it makes me reflect on how God always provides where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. And he uses people that no one would think would be used, like this gentleman, Bill, who was a Notre Dame graduate who moved in. He was called Brother Bill, and he worked with the gang members and how God is using you, a man who is legally blind. You know, when I first heard your story, when I met you, uh, I met Michael through the sisters uh, in lower Manhattan, Missionaries of Charity, that is. Um, I, I, I was amazed that you were blind and the story that you just told, because like, that's not supposed to happen. And frankly, any logical, irrational person would say you should be dead, but you're not. And that is how God works. With that said, tell us what's happening in Kensington, because a lot of people may not know about that neighborhood, what you're up against and what you're doing. I, I just moved into Kensington this past September. And let me tell you, the Kensington area makes the Bronx look like Park Avenue. And I do not say that lightly. Michael, I happen to see, don't ask me why, I happen to see a video. And I, I wasn't doing a search for you. I, I, I just popped up. It was a video that was done within the last year or so, somebody walking through Kensington. And I remembered from our last conversation when we spoke to you several months ago, and I'm saying to myself, that's where Michael is? Like I thought of you immediately, we're like that place. And Joe and I are in the city and, and we've been up to, we have to travel through the Bronx to get to the Franciscan Friars or up to Harlem to, to serve with the CFRs. Just for 10 seconds, I'm saying that's the worst place I've ever seen. And we're from Newark. So yeah. that's saying something. Go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. Yeah. To oh, it, 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 it is. I've never seen anything like it. So to, just to give you some perspective. So um, I, I live the, the epicenter of where all the drugs and, and the drug dealers and the gang members is is about half a mile away from my house. And my little house that I'm renting is on a street. It's a, it's a relatively, and I, I know after I tell you this, you're going to not believe what I'm telling you. It's a relatively quiet, good street. But since I have been on this block, Emerald Street, in September, four people have been shot and killed on Emerald Street. Emerald Street alone, four. First two was Christmas, Christmas at midnight. Literally Christmas Day, father came out and shot and killed his son, and the police shot and killed the father. Then we had another young man, 24-year-old young man, sitting in his car, drive by, they shot right through the window, shot him in the head. And the same thing just recently, just a few weeks ago, I was doing, I do a Thursday night teaching, and during the teaching, there were tons of gunshots shots and, and sirens. I, I have never seen anything like it. The drugs, you walk through the streets, you are literally stepping over heroin needles, um, the gangs, the violence. Um, now all the drug dealers are starting to know me because I always walk through the streets and I just walk and pray my rosary and I bring bottles of water with me and I'll talk to the homeless or I talk to the drug dealers and try to evangelize them and pray with them. I bring lots of wooden rosaries. They love that. And just walking through the streets saying, hey guys, what's up? God bless you in, in Spanish. Como ta, todo bien? You know, and, and just talking to them and then and then little by little getting to as they get to kind of know you, 
And there is no way that this should be working. There is no way that a legally blind white guy from Long Island should be able to make it every single day in Kensington, bringing Jesus, carrying Jesus. Everything I have in this house that I live in has been donated. Every pillow, every thing of toothpaste, every every piece of soap, every sock has been donated. We have thousands of socks that we give out to the homeless and to the poor. And every single bit of it, this home is really a home of love in the midst of Kensington. We've had mass here. And I always think that mass is like starting a nuclear bomb in the neighborhood of grace. And so we've had multiple masses here in this neighborhood. The Catholic Church is not very present. We have a little mission church up the block that's only open on Sundays and not much missionary activity going on. There are some people, lots of people come here and give out food. Okay, Um, you can you can live in Kensington and be 500 pounds, even if you're homeless. No problem. Okay, that's not what the people need. What the people need is to know who they are as sons and daughters of God. And many of the many of the drug addicts here in this neighborhood come from uh, middle class and upper class families. I, I met a guy from Princeton. And I just said, your mother, I, my opening line to him, because I, the way that I evangelize is I change the script. I don't say, hi, how are you? I go over and I said to him, I said, your mother must be so heartbroken. And he just started to cry. And then I told him about Our Lady. I told him about the Blessed Mother and I gave him a miraculous medal. And so, um, but he was from Princeton. The guy looked like he could be a CEO of a company. He just looked like he just did not belong in the neighborhood, but because of drugs and how inexpensive the drugs are, they all come here. They live in tents, hundreds of tents all along the subway. It looks like Calcutta. Michael, let me cut you off for a second because I'm going to rope you into a Joe and Joe conversation here. Okay. Um, Okay. When you see these things that you just mentioned, this is not this is not just an issue for the poor. This is not just an issue for minority communities. Okay. When you see the destruction that that is caused by the use of drugs. How did, how disgusted are you that as a nation we're moving towards legalizing so many of these drugs? And and I, I've had people deny it, straight up deny that marijuana is a gateway drug. Of course it is. What are you talking about? Marijuana right. is, is will lead to much more disastrous drugs. My point is this: comment on it for a second. How ridiculous it is! How dangerous it is! How evil! It is that as a nation, we're moving towards legalizing drugs, while at the same time, you're t- you're describing a place that's literally hell on earth where people go when they've destroyed their lives with drugs. Talk about that for a second. First of all, not one of those people started with just heroin. They didn't wake up one day and stick a needle. They all started with marijuana. Every one of them. Every So anybody that says marijuana is not a gateway drug is clueless. Not one of them started with heroin or crystal meth or LSD or anything like that. They start with alcohol and they start with weed, period, 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 period. So that's the end of that debate. And if you have any questions about it, come down to Kensington. Come on down and ask. Take a poll. Okay. so that's number one. Number two, these drugs. The reason they start with they start because they start with the prescription things, by the way, too. It's the painkillers. Oxycontin. Oxycontin and Percocets. And, you know, in New York, I don't know how much you can get them for here. I'm not asking drug dealers how much drugs are. But I I know I happen to know that in New York, you know, you're getting a Percocet for 12 bucks. Can you imagine these guys are making 12 bucks for a Percocet? 
Okay. Right. Sometimes eight, sometimes 12. It just depends on the neighborhood, but between eight and 12 for one Percocet. So once they find out that they can get heroin for five bucks and they can kind of overcome the whole needle thing, you know, it's a much, and it's a, it's a better high. They do it. But why do they do it? It is a painkiller. Well, what pain are they in? It is the pain of identity crisis. What's the identity crisis? We have a whole bunch of people walking around and they are orphans. They don't know who their father, their father, their father, men is. And they don't know who their mother is. They don't know who they are. And so they are an agonizing, you know, the biggest question that the Lord will ever ask you. And the biggest question that the devil will ever ask you is the same question. Who do you think that you are? And the devil will destroy your soul with that question if you don't have the right answer. And God will save your soul with that question when you find out that he is the answer. And so we have a a generation of people running around on drugs because they are in pain, because they don't know who they are, because they don't know who their real father is, their heavenly father. Because as much as as hard as we try to be good fathers and and everybody, I hope everybody that's listening to Joe and Joe, you all want to be men of God and good fathers and good providers and good protectors. But you can't be a perfect father. We only have one perfect father. So until we know our heavenly father, we'll always be lost. And until our young people know him, they will always be lost in drugs. And the fact that they want to make this legal in this country, these people are zombies. These people are miserable. We have people, every time I see an ambulance here, I know that somebody is overdosed. We have, so just to give perspective, um, I know a gentleman, we talked about him before, John, he gives out food here on Sundays. He comes in an hour and a half, he gives out about 500 sandwiches. In an hour and a half, two people overdosed. And two people, we had to have ambulances come for two people. One made it, one died. But you know what the ambulance driver said to my friend, John? He said, I have been to this corner 12 times in my shift, 12 times for overdoses. That They don't all die because, thank God, you know, there's Narcan and there's ways that they can help them. These people are literally dropping like flies. Talk about, because I've seen this on uh, social media, you were giving out, uh, what's it called, the brown scapula with a, a friend of, uh, a mutual friend, Father Justin. He's a Carmelite priest. He's a friend of the show, and I know he's a friend of yours as well. Talk about the survival rate of the people on the streets of Kensington. 97% of the people who come here because of heroin will not make it out alive. They will either be incarcerated or most, a lot of them overdose. And many of them are murdered, as I told you, four on my block. I was riding on the subway, and I just happened to overhear two people talk about somebody in their neighborhood who came and stole something, and the drug dealer took a gun and blew his fingers off as punishment for stealing. So you want to talk about Yemen and Muslim countries where they're cutting people's hands off for stealing? Try Kensington. It's a lot closer to home than you think. Mm-hmm. And so uh, th- these things these things are going on right here. And so... I, I realized, you know, I, I can't, a lot of these people, because especially because of the heroin addiction, they're not going to come for RCIA classes. Can you imagine a whole RCIA room filled with heroin addicts? You know, <laughs> we need, we need yeah, yeah, it would be great. But, and so I realized, how can I help these people? Many of them are overdosing. Many of them are going to die. How can I help them to get to heaven? And then I remembered, oh, that sweet, sweet, sweet mama of ours. She made it so easy. She wrote right on that brown scapula, whosoever. I said, oh, 
I know many whosoevers. Whoever dies clothed where in this scapula shall not suffer the pains of hell. And so I started giving out brown scapulas all over Kensington. Now, I don't give them out with the little packets. I take them out and I put them around their neck and I explain it. I said, if you wear that, this is like having a, I said, you have a life insurance policy and they laugh because they're homeless and they're on drugs. I said, well, this is a spiritual life insurance policy. Mama Mary promised that whoever dies wearing this will not suffer the flames of hell. I said, you're going through so much hell here on the streets. We can save you that if you pass away. And they thank me and they wear the scapulum. So we had Father Justin come one day and he was just put, literally putting them around hundreds of people's necks. And so that's been a great, great blessing that Our Lady's given us. Boy, the power of the sacramentals and the promises that come with them. Woof! Magical, magical. How great is the Blessed Mother. She is. A, she's so good. You know, Michael, the thing I love about what you do, and this is, to be honest with you, what a lot of saints do. You take Christ at his word. You see, we have to take, Mother Teresa used to say that. She'd say, I take Jesus Christ at his word. You trust him. We have to trust him, and we have to get out of the boat. All of us. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Michael Grogan, and we're talking about Michael and his ministering to the poorest of the poor. We started talking about his experiences in the Bronx, and now we're talking about uh, where he is now currently in one of the worst places in the United States, Kensington, Philadelphia. And he's just, he's doing Christ's work. Um, he's bringing our Lord and Our Lady to people who are uh, in pain, as we mentioned, that people don't know who they are. That's the deepest source of our pain is when we don't know who we are in relation to our Father in heaven. Um, and it's just such a great thing that Michael's doing. Michael, you, you mentioned Our Lady and mentioned the scapular, okay? Padre Pio, when he was confronted with problems, he turned to his priest and said, give me my weapon. They hand him a rosary. Talk about the rosary, Michael. Talk about the power of the rosary. Talk about your experience uh, with the rosary, with, with, uh, with some of the people you encounter down there in Philadelphia. I have my rosary in my hands right now. I've had it in my hands through the whole show. I love my rosary. I walk through the streets with my rosary in my hands. They see me praying the rosary. I, I, I do not leave home without it. The rosary is so powerful. The rosary is... I have seen it convert gang members. I've seen it convert drug dealers. Just praying the rosary. There is so much power in it. Anybody that says, well, it's boring and you got to start off easy and young people don't want to do it. They have no idea what they're talking about. Let's send them to me. I've seen gang members, drug dealers, high school dropouts. I've seen people who have been in and out of prison pray the rosary and their life changes. They come to the sacraments. They get jobs. They stop doing what they're doing. Either they will stop with their sin or they will stop with the rosary. Only one will remain, and usually it's the rosary once they start. So the rosary is my weapon of choice, and my little ministry is to go out into the streets and to find young people who have been in gangs and been involved with drugs and been in and out of prison and invite them back to my house and to have prayer groups with them. It's 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 really pretty simple, right? So, you know, um, G Jesus said to the apostles, he said, you know, it, right, you know, right before his ascension, he says, go into Jerusalem and wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, you know, I, I'm in the city and I just drag some people in and we wait until the power comes down. And how do we get the power down? Through the rosary. The rosary is the electrical current. It's the power line, you know, and I just get, get it in their hand and connect with heaven. And all of a sudden, amazing, beautiful, miraculous things happen. 
You know, it's funny, Michael, that you mentioned that because I try sometimes, you know, I'm a distracted prayer, prayer. You know what I mean? Like when I'm praying, I, I, I'll fully admit that I try to focus, um, you know, some some of the mysteries we, we we contemplate or we meditate on hit me more than others. What you said just rings so true to me. But there's always that one that snaps me back is the the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Joe and I say on the show all the time. We're doing our thing. You're doing your thing. None of us can do a damn thing right. without the fact that we all pray the rosary. We pray right. it. We ask Our Lady for help. We ask her for her intercession. And it's just so important to emphasize to people, yes, all prayer. God, I believe God listens to our prayers. But yes, the idea of praying the rosary, that weapon, you walk down the street with it, people see it, okay? Just way too, if you want to blow the devil out of the water, okay, that's the way to do it. And, and and you know what? And to and to know that it's 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 practical, not just that it's practical, you know, in holding it in evangelization, but prayer works. Prayer really works. I have seen so many miracles uh, in praying with people. I have literally seen, and it's a there's a long story. I saw somebody dead raised from the dead because we prayed, literally dead in front of me from an overdose with no pulse, and we prayed with no Narcan, with nothing, and he came back. Prayer works. You know, I, I'll never forget, and I always tell everybody this story, but, uh, you know, Mother Teresa's sisters, they had the soup kitchen at 9.30 in the morning, and, and at the end, they take all the garbage from the from, and, and, and bring it in a, in, a, in a dumpster on wheels to the main dumpster across the street in the projects. And one day as they're going to, to bring the garbage to the main dumpster, they see on the roof of a project building, 14-story tall project building, a guy ready to jump and commit suicide. And so, you know, the one sister falls on her knees, and the other sister goes inside and gets the other sisters. And two minutes later, there's 19 sisters all on their knees. And so he looks down and there's 19 nuns on their knees. You know, now what's the practical thing to do? You know, dial 911. No, they are on there. That's the practical thing to pray. And then the one nun went around the block to get the priest. And, you know, now you're thinking, okay, let's practical here. What are we going to do? We've got 911, get a social worker. Well, the priest comes around the block with the exposed blessed sacrament, goes into the project building. Two minutes later, you see up on the roof coming from behind the guy looking, not knowing what to do. He has nuns behind. And when he turns around on the roof, there's the priest with the blessed sacrament behind him. That's the practical thing. Prayer is a practical solution to problems. It works. There is power in it. There are, you know, we believe in miracles. I think as Catholics, you know, at mass, when we have the, you know, we now pray for the sick and they go through the list and kind of in the back of their mind, everybody knows that in two or three weeks, they're going to be on, on the next list, which is we pray for the dead. We don't really believe that the prayers for the sick are going to heal the sick. But I'm telling you that as Catholics, we should believe in miracles and we should believe that God wants to, and he loves us so much. He wants to intervene in our situations. Otherwise, what do I have to tell the people of Kensington? Nothing. Right. So when they find out that God intervenes, that God wants to step in, that God can make a difference, that God can impact the situation, let me not tell you about it. Let me show you. Give me your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus and through the intercession of Mama Mary, I want to call down healing on this young man. And, and whatever it is that the Lord inspires me to pray, and we see miracles and signs and wonders happening.
You know what I have found, and this is in my own life, is when you stick your neck out for God, he always delivers. You see, that's the, the thing that people, our fellow Catholics, have to remember. And this is something that Joe and I try to do. We try to inspire people. Not everyone's called to the streets of Kensington, but we're all called to trust radically. And when we do, God always delivers. I have experienced this in my own life. He always delivers in ways that you that are not rational or not logical or not in ways that you can calculate but we right. just don't trust him right. this is the thing as a people right he always delivers and he always shows up but here's the key folks you got to press in because he shows up not in the 11th hour whoever said that doesn't know what they're talking about he shows up at 11.59 and 59 seconds. He is dramatic. And when you know that God's dramatic and he's going to push you to the end, but he is going to show up mightily, radically, powerfully, you should be excited and press in. He will not fail. He will not delay, though some consider it delay, but he will show up and he will show off and he will prove mm. your faith right. Michael, Absolutely. talk a little bit about the challenges that you face. Obviously, you have, a, you know, a physical challenge, your blindness. Um, but in terms of your ministry itself, what are some of the challenges day to day? I'm sure you face many. Well, uh, when I walk outside my door, the challenges begin. I mean, we got we have gunshots going off. We have drugs all over the place. We have robbery happening, you know, on a, on a regular basis here in this neighborhood. So there is, it's always important to be vigilant, right? Not to be afraid, but to be aware. And, um, uh, but you know something, I, I, I know that, I know that God is with me. And so I don't just go out at, like after this, you know, I'll go out and I'll take a walk through the neighborhood and say hi to everybody and pray with people and talk with people. But I go out at 1230 at night. It's not a problem to me. You know, we can't, and people say, oh, you better be careful, brother. Oh, you better be prudent, brother. Listen, if I was prudent, I wouldn't have moved to Kensington. So that's out there. I was, was going to say, you, you already stepped into it, Michael Rogan. I mean, you're like, yeah, oh, you're in Kensington. No, you're going to stay behind closed doors because if you go outside, it's dangerous. It's already dangerous. What are you talking about? That, that's right. And people say to me, oh, you better be careful. I said, I didn't stay here. I didn't move in here to stay in my basement. Okay. I, I Listen, I go out. I go out. I go out during the day. I go out during the night. I pray. I meet people. I deliberately look to engage. It's not, not it's not like I'm walking through the streets and quietly praying the rosary. I am engaging. I am talking to people. I am looking for opportunities to connect. I am looking for opportunities because I'm looking for, you know, and just God, God, God gives them, God presents them. You know, I always say, if you throw enough spaghetti up against the wall, something's going to stick. I just, I spend my days just throwing spaghetti up against the wall and seeing what God does. And once in a while, a piece sticks, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, this lady at mass came in the same exact day. Her son, an over 20 year old kid overdosed on heroin and died. And she showed up at mass. I could tell that she's not devout. She's not a believer. She just, she was in shock. And I, I wanted to connect with her, and I, I, I didn't see her, at the, I didn't get to at that Mass. But this past Monday, I saw her again at Mass. And I went over to her and I said, I have a, I have a four-foot picture of Our Lady Guadalupe. I want to bring her to your house. And I, and I, and I said, I'm praying for Christian. That's, that's the name of her son. So pray for the repose of his soul. And she is just so excited. And now the church, they, they had Mass for her and everything like that. But then grief goes on and nobody kind of reaches out. 
And I think it, as church, we need to go the extra mile. I think sometimes we expect the priest to do it or the, the, this one to do it, that to do it. But, you know, what is the church? It's If you take the CH of, of the beginning of the word church and the CH at the end of the word church out, and you have what the church is, what's left? You are. The church, church is you and me, right? So it's very important that we step out of our comfort zones. There are people that are listening to this show right now that have been thinking about doing a ministry or thinking about getting involved or thinking about taking a leap in faith or thinking about an inspiration that the Holy Spirit's placed in their mind and hearts. And you've been waiting to do something and you've been waiting and, and you've been waiting for a sign. This is your sign, everybody. No more waiting. This is the day. Pull the trigger. Take action. Do something beautiful for God today. You know, we don't have anything but the moment that we have right now. I could have a heart attack and die right on this show. That would be pretty cool. Your ratings would go through the roof. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't we happen. Don't want you to die, Michael Grogan. We want you to stick around for a long time. <laughs> right, I'll, stick around. I'll give you at least one more show. How about that? All right. Make sure. <laughs> I love it. Mike, real quick. We got a couple minutes. Talk about this. Um, the problem with the solution uh, when it comes to helping, quote unquote, helping people when it comes to uh, secularists, when it comes to, this, well, just let them kill their babies or just let them die on the street. Doesn't seem like the like the, you know, those who are always moralizing in this country uh, really do much, you know, to help people. Talk about uh, you talked about there's drugs all over the place. What about the abortion clinics? Uh, spend a couple minutes talking about that evil and how abortion's not a solution to anything. Abortion is murder. It's very, very simple. Whether it's whether it's immediately after conception or whether it's six, seven, eight, nine months in, it's all murder. And mur- breaking God's commandment, but it's way more than breaking God's commandment. Taking a life and having the blood of that innocent child, that innocent baby on your hands, whether you're the doctor. And so many of these young girls, by the way, I want to say something about so many young mothers. Many of them are 16 and 17. They have completely bought the lie that it's not a baby, that this is not a life. They've completely bought the lie. They're desperate for love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. They don't know who they are. They don't know the dignity that they have. It started because they were permitted to dress immodestly. It started because their parents or siblings or people in the world or friends modeled, you know, a sinful, uh, a sinful life of promiscuity and lust. And so the real thing, we need to begin to talk about the beauty of chastity, the beauty of God's plan for marriage, the beauty of God's plan for human sexuality, because so many babies are being snuffed out. We know that in the last administration, President Trump did so much for life, and now we see it all being undone. But on a state level, we see so much, we see legislatures and, and, and on a local level really stepping up to kind of protect the good that has been done. And we all need to get involved to save babies uh, through prayer, maybe through going outside an abortion clinic and praying, maybe through counseling young girls that we know and young men and trying Mm -hmm. to help them to be chased. It's not just about the girls. It is about the men. You know, it takes two to tango. Right. So we got to remember to reach out to our young men to model real manhood, real masculinity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Michael, get involved on a state level, get involved with local politics, get involved and make an impact. Show up at some of these local meetings and see if you can get involved, make an impact. Yes. Start. Yeah, exactly right. 30, 30 cities across the United States have now become sanctuary cities and they're telling Planned Parenthood and the rest of them to beat it. We need 3000 cities 
to do the exact same thing. Michael, we, unfortunately, we have to leave it there, but you know, you coming on with a couple of paisans at the front line with Joe and Joe, you know, we could go on for hours, brother, and we will have you back on soon. Michael, real quick, Michael Grogan Ministry, um, is that where people find you, Mike? How could they donate? How could they help? Connectwithheaven.org. Connectwithheaven.org, O-R-G, or you can just shoot me a text or give me a call, 929-448-6172. So connectwithheaven.org or 929-448-6172. Thank you, Michael Grogan, and thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. Please remember, for all Veritas content, download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and please be sure to follow Joe and I on social media before they... Take, the, take us down, of course, but like, subscribe, hit the little bell, do anything you can to help us on there and all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.